So Nick Bottomley is the co-owner of Mr. B's Emporium of Reading Delights in Bath, England, an independent bookshop that has twice been named UK Independent Bookshop of the Year, or has okay. it more than twice? Twice? No, I think twice been named Independent Bookshop of the Year. We have been lucky enough to be kind of shortlisted on other occasions as well, but yeah. Okay. Prior to setting up shop with his wife, Juliet, in 2006, he was a capital markets lawyer. So how did that inform what you do today? Um, that's a good question. The main thing that we took was the attention to detail and the kind of rigor that you get drilled into you uh, when you train with a big law firm, actually. So at the time, yeah, I guess we just had that, that sort of professionalism that you need to run any business. And particularly, I think, a business where you've really got to have your wits about you because there's a lot of adversity to the trading conditions that you're going to operate in. So it means that where lots of people have a dream of setting up a bookshop and, and, and manage to pursue that dream, you know, the bookshop itself needs to look however you want it to look. But often they look charming. They look, you know, homely. Yeah. They might lots of soft words, you know, but underneath it, I think you have to have quite a disciplined approach because it's a tough industry to actually thin margins and a tough industry to make a living in. So I think that's it gave us that the stuff that's underneath that, that you don't see when you walk into the shop, but that you need in order to be able to run a business. And separately, it gave me, and, and I'm sure Juliet, my wife, would say the same, it gave us a, a work ethic um, that um, meant that if we had to work extremely long hours um, to make it work at, uh, in the early days of the shop, especially, uh, then we were happy to do that, especially as we were doing it on our own terms this time. Right. So, you were on your honeymoon in Seattle, and it was the Elliott Bay bookstore that captured your attention. And you talked about their verve and atmosphere and personality. Can you define that precisely? What, what was that personality? Yeah, you walked into their store, and it's still the same, even though the location is different, because... I went, uh, went to see it again for the first time in 19 years, just earlier this year. You walk into their store and the place does have a, it does have a personality. It has, there's a place. So first of all, that's physical. They're very, it's very wooden, their shop. Their bookshelves, their tables, it's all this, it's got this very sort of warm wood that they use. Uh, so there's something about this, the base of it, and it was full of, immediately you could see corners that you knew there were more books around. There were little staircases up here, there, and everywhere. There's little nooks, there's little indents. There's lots of places to get lost in the book. So that's the physical thing. But the other yeah. thing about the personality is as soon as you walk in, there is opinion about books being, um, being spread around everywhere. So, um, so you've got um, notices on the uh, shelves. You've got um, things on the tables themselves that are very, uh, I don't know, that, that tell you why they created the books. Yeah, but they, they explain right. why books are there. Why is this range of books on this table? Some theme or whatever. And then the final thing and the most important thing that I now know is the fact that the people, the booksellers, come to you 
uh, and offer you the opportunity to talk about books or to be shown books or to be taken to books. You don't have to go to them. They come to you. Right. And it's so fascinating because, uh, I mean, I've been to thousands and thousands of bookstores in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, well, longer than that. And I'm the kind of person who I don't want to be bugged when I go into a bookstore. I just want to browse myself. Mm -hmm. And yet, having read about your shop, it's almost I've sort of retroactively now wishing maybe I'd engaged a little bit more. Because I, first of all, I just don't want to be bugged to buy something. I yeah. just want to browse for books on my own and find something. But you're saying that here's an opportunity to really learn about books from someone. Is that what you're saying? I don't know about learn about. I feel it's more bilateral, actually, or more even than learning about. But what I'm saying is that, you know, we so first of all, I love the thrill of the chase, the thrill of the hunting myself as well when I'm in a bookstore. But what we want to do is give everyone the opportunity to talk about books with people mm -hmm. who are, we only have booksellers who love books. I hire all sorts of different people. I've got people from all kinds of different backgrounds. However, there's one thing in common. They love books and they know how to hold a conversation. They know how to talk about books. Right. Um, that's the two things. Everything else I can learn. If they, if they can't use computers very well, we can work out a way. If they, you know, whatever. If they've got marketing skills or other, I know, all kinds of skills these days, social media, everything. We can, we can, all of it can benefit. But the thing you have to have is a love of books and the ability to talk about it. So everyone who comes into our shop is given that opportunity. And I'll admit sometimes because... It's drilled into our DNA, not because they've been told in a kind of corporate way, you must sort of say a certain phrase. But anytime any of our team are going to walk through, if they see someone, you know, perusing, they're going to say, hey, are you OK browsing or, or do, you, do you want a recommendation? Do you need help or whatever their version of, of that engagement is. So some people will maybe get a little uh, irritated by having been asked two or three times. But I take the view, I always say to the team, it is way better but you've asked somebody a couple too many times if you can be of help or if you can recommend right. a book or yeah. than, than if you've ignored them the whole time they're there. I, I mean, right. on the balance, it's tough always to get the balance exactly right. If, if the same person's on the shop floor, then you can, you, you will get the balance right. So if, if I'm on the shop floor and someone's made it clear that they don't want and get, you know, they want to just browse by themselves, that's a hundred percent fine. It probably still when they bring whatever they've chosen to the counter, if I've got a view on it, or if I've got it, you know, then I'll probably still chip in. And in terms of the thing about, yeah, you're right about, you know, nobody wants to feel they're being sold things, but I do think that books are a little bit different. I do think that we don't, I, we don't mind whether somebody, you know, if someone has a budget for a book to come into a bookshop, you know, we have a lot of young people. We have a lot of all kinds of people coming, a lot of tourists who have no room in their baggage. We don't mind. We'd still rather we were giving them a recommendation genuinely for another day, for another time. Yeah. If you yeah. like this, here's another one. Next time we'll write it on a bookmark. Have a think about this because we just want people to be spending the time when they're reading books, reading books that are, right for them and often we've got a view on that just because of the number of conversations we've had and also we really we get some of the you know some of the books we've sold the most have originated from recommendations being given by a customer to us through those conversations 
Okay, so when you were in, in Seattle, you then decided, okay, if we set up our own bookstore, this could make for a really interesting, uh, fulfilling career. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've just had a conversation with a with my friend Jeff Deutsch out of mm-hmm. Chicago, yep. who's written a book in mm-hmm. praise of uh, good bookshops yeah. or stores. And in it, he says, there's no way you can build a career in this field. Mm-hmm. He's saying that the whole retail model is broken mm-hmm. because the salaries are so piss poor. Mm-hmm. But you are saying the opposite. Well, I don't disagree that the model is broken. I don't disagree that margins are so small that it is extremely difficult to make a living uh, from book selling. And I would wish that we and everyone in our industry could pay all the people who work with us and ourselves more money for the effort. Certainly, if anyone is going to map time put in to bookshop ownership, and then work out their hourly rate, they're not going to be happy. And in terms of, you know, and when it comes to the people you employ, certainly I would love there to be more margin in the business so that we could pay everyone more for the passion that they put in. And a lot of that is structurally connected with, I mean, Jeff goes into this, I think, a lot in the book, all the different reasons. But I mean, yeah, it, it, it's structurally connected to the way our industry is. In the UK, for sure, it's also more lodged in a the imbalance between huge online businesses and the playing field they operate on and then the skewed effect that has on um, margin capabilities within the industry and uh, etc etc but also it's factors that are not specific to the book industry you know it's the business the the business rate system um, which is definitely not fit for purpose and obviously you know, through the state, yeah, 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 and a, a lot of a lot of other factors, uh, and obviously uh, the ecosystem of the high street coming under threat from so many different things, plus yeah. those macro things that we're now dealing with, like cost of living crisis, pandemic, etc. So it's not easy. But what I don't love, I don't love the narrative that it's not possible. I don't like. I think you know, we Juliet and I started just two of us. Uh, yeah. We had some really great help as well for a while from Juliet's brother, Harvey, who was instrumental in helping us build the shop up as well. For a, we happened to tie in for a couple of years where it was really useful that he was uh, able to help us. And you know, now we have 20 members of staff. So, so we are providing a living for 20 people um, of varying you know, levels. And would I wish that we could add X percent more onto everyone's salary so that it was being remunerated to the level of skill that you know, I think it should, of course. And would I prefer to you know, be able to take a bit more home for our family uh, you know, that I might be equivalent to the, uh, not, even, not equivalent to the old world I was working in or where I would have got to if I'd stuck in that world, but somewhere nearer. Then yeah, but I do think it's possible to have a rewarding career, a very rewarding career, and I do think that we have to change the narrative that it's that it's a sort of you know that this thing of people saying oh no one has ever you know made money from book selling. It is possible right. to make a little money and at the same time be very happy. I mean that's funny. That's uh, and I, today I seem to be wanting to make connections between what you've done and what I do. Mm. But uh, I've had this podcast for 10 or 12 years. 
hardly made any money at all. But thankfully, I, I was in the communications business prior to doing this, making probably 15 to 20 times the money doing similar things to what I'm doing, mm. doing in books. But it's been way more fulfilling. Yeah, yeah. And fulfillment's a really important part of it. You know, I, and I bet Jeff would say the same. I, I don't think we should give up on on long-term the structure of, uh, of these things, aspiring that the structure of these things also enables people to be remunerated uh, better yes. for this kind of fulfilling work. Uh, there is an imbalance and we should all aspire to shift that dial over time. But that's, uh, But I think it takes people who are willing to, you know, for that to take some time and you have to be kind of creative in order to do it. Well, and I think that's probably why you've won these awards. I mean, this was the thing that you brought up uh, when I met you briefly in Prague at the Rise Book Selling Conference. Oh, yeah. You were talking about your book spas. Perhaps you could just, exp- I know you've probably done it a million times, but if oh. you don't mind uh, telling yeah the audience uh, what what they're about because i just yeah. think they're they they make so much sense yeah so i mean the reading spa we we created it fairly early on because we realized that when we set up the bookshop when it was much smaller than now the thing that really people kept were coming back to and the reason why we were getting some good word of mouth traction was for this idea that we we were nice people to talk to book uh, talk to about books and that we were good at recommending and maybe the recommendations were just a little less kind of obvious or a little off pitch than you know the things that you saw front and center in every shop which lots of indies are good at and so we thought well how can we make that into something that people can purchase so we created the reading spa and the way it works is that you purchase a voucher you know on our website in uh, over the counter however and it's most often for a gift, although people do self-gift it. And um, it uh, entitles the person who's received it to book in a time with us on a weekday to come in and sit. And they spend 20 or 30 minutes talking one-on-one with one of our booksellers. So we ask them at the time they book in to tell us a little bit about what they like reading, just a little bit, just to make sure we don't put our sci-fi fantasy expert on a on a reading spa with a with a bloomsbury set um loving right. um, yeah reader for example that'll be more a more of a jar than a spa yeah so we uh so we put them uh, we sit down there's tea and cake and we talk we i thought talk it was habits. a bit more than 20 minutes i thought it was no no, no it is it is so oh, the initial sorry. bit the initial bit is 20 minutes just finding out yeah. what they like reading you know really okay. talking to about it. and yeah. usually again usually it just turns into a really pleasant interesting conversation about books between you know what yeah. they like what they don't like few other questions that we like to always ask and then the person uh, from our side the bookseller is going to go off leave them alone for 10 minutes 15 minutes and go and gather books that have been prompted by that conversation that we think right. that individual is going to enjoy not Very usually good. not usually you know in exactly the same territory but off, yeah, dancing around the edges of the kind of you know recommendations parallels that we might make in any genre, we do, you know, we've got everything covered. Uh, and it's whether people love reading, you know, uh, for pure escapism or for educate, you know, whatever they want from the way they read. And then we go up and then we talk about those books and we, you know, describe those books and we say why, you know, we like them and, 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 and why we think they might be relevant. And then we leave the person alone and they have a voucher as part of their gift that's going to mean they can take away 
you know, six or seven books or something within that. Obviously, they're also very free to then buy in addition. And they get a little goodie bag uh, as well, you know, with a cloth bag, a tote bag and a, and a mug and things like that. T-shirt? Um, you get a T-shirt? They don't get t-shirt. a T-shirt. We have got T-shirts. We don't put it in oh, with yeah. the price of it at the moment. But, you know, yeah. But they get a little goodie bag to go away with. And, you know, we make a customer connection. That's the most important thing. Somebody who's likely going to buy this for someone else who's going to, if not, it's going to go away with the books that they wanted and probably a list of others that we've recommended that they might then pass on to other people. And uh, invariably, those people might buy them through us. But we make a customer connection. That's the most important thing. And we also, you know, the chances are that person, you know, they may not come back for another reading spa, although some people do come back for multiple times, but they are likely to think of our store again as a place they want to visit and go and get their recommendations. So it's not all about the impact of the sale of the reading spa. It's about the, the longer, the longer process. And I mean, it's, you know, I've never hidden what we do. We talk to it about, I, I, I know that when I speak to other bookshops, I spoke to a few at that conference in Prague and a few people, and I think there were even comments from one of my fellow panelists, the brilliant Raluca, who runs the, I'm going to, I was going to try and pronounce it in Romanian, but I, I'm going to do a bad <laughs> job. But it's essentially called the Two Owls Bookshop in Timisoara in, in Romania. And um, okay. I think, and she said, look, you know, she was kind of talked about how sort of scary it seemed to, to do the reading spot, like even to her as a, a brilliant bookseller how how difficult that would be to manage and set up. And it certainly is something, you know, there's a reason why we have a, a higher percentage than most bookstores of our costs go on staffing because we, you do, right. it does, it complicates your timetabling. You need to always have a, you know, um, but here's the other thing it does. It provides a backdoor permanent ongoing training session for all of your booksellers, right? Because, you, you're not always just going to do reading spas with those people who are in exactly the same reading taste as you. They might have a core of their reading where you, you're the person that makes most sense to do that reading spa. But the most yeah. obvious person may not be on work that day. They may be off sick. Or the core of it could be exactly what you read, but then they might also be massively interested in 19th century gardening or something. So you better right. have touchstone books, not necessarily that you read, but you better have a kind of touchstone books at least something that you can yeah. lean on to say hey i don't read this particular area that you talked about but my colleague sam does and i know if he were here he'd really recommend this i'm not going to pretend to tell you too much about it because this one i haven't read but but here's what sam always tells me to do you know so there's those little bits you have, so it kind of just improves the way you communicate and it improves the way you uh build the recommendation knowledge it's like a high it builds the hive yeah. mind well, I mean, and it's, it's great fun. <laughs> well, I was going to say it's a parallel business. It's a consulting business that you can offer up a whole bunch of clients that are already engaged. They're they're qualified already. The customers that come into your door yep. are, cust- are are qualified customers. They're you know they're potential clients of this new service. I just don't understand why Evron isn't offering this. I mean, again. Maybe I think, maybe it's as you say the expertise you you need to find some really smart people who love talking about books. Maybe that's people, not so easy. I don't know. I think it. I think it's not always easy, or at least it's not the first thing. If you're, it's not the first thing you're going to. Yeah, for us, it's probably become easier the longer we've been in business and the longer the reputation of the shop has established. 
Um, but it's it's maybe not so easy. It's not so easy in every in every town. We know recruiting is not easy, and and maybe also it's not the easiest thing to do for the first time. You have to sort of throw yourself into it. Right. There has to be a bit of a leap of faith, and it is gonna. It's one of those things. You know, we all think of things. There are things that I haven't done that I would love that you mentioned t-shirts earlier. So we've been for like three years, we've been saying we've got to improve our merchandise every time we go and visit the America, you know, but actually different thing completely. But there's loads of slightly complicated conversations with different producers of things. And and it, it just takes so long sometimes yeah, to do these yeah. things. So if you yeah. start and think, if you're a slightly smaller store than us and uh, you've got a fairly, you know, your business is running, you know, on tight margins especially when time is concerned um you know the idea of introducing something like this is is i understand slightly daunting i guess the one that people have done more the thing that this led us then into the subscription side where, which again we do a very tailored subscription that's very spa like we choose in books for our individual subscribers i guess people have done that a bit more i think other stores have have recognized that the subscription model is a is a is a good gift to have although again some take a slightly more you know, kind of, oh, here's our book of the month approach rather than getting into the tailoring it. But yeah, these things, they take, you know, they take a lot of time to set up and they take a lot of time to organize. Um, Well, they should be seen as a separate business almost. Um, Perhaps if you can. It's definitely a separate product. Uh, And yeah, it's sort of, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. I mean, this, you do have a room called the bibliotherapy room, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you could be offering bibliotherapy as sort of a part of this package here. It's like, yeah. uh, I mean, I don't know if you, you, you just don't want to get too far away from the actual selling of books, I suppose. Is that it? I guess the thing, no, I mean, I guess the thing is that bibliotherapy is a term that in the United States, especially is used very technically and it, it, it you know, yeah. it really gets into, it's a, it's a part or an adjunct. To hospitals, med- yeah. Yeah. We are not qualified by what i don't know whether anyone can what, what the qualification is medically for that but we are we do not profess we, we use the phrase bibliotherapy and we're very clear about it in a much more um i don't know mainstream way in the sense that we all recognize that there is a, a huge amount of benefit personal benefit to be had from being readers and and connecting so we i think we position the reading spa as something that is primarily about relaxation. That's the spa bit, right? It's it's a, right, right. this is time to well, sit the fact and that you're talk about your hobby. Too, right? Yeah, I exactly. Mean, I couldn't, yeah. couldn't I couldn't escape that. I mean, no, no, yeah. There's that. And you know, we even have a bathtub in the store, which is a converted into a books table. So yeah, we, we keep right. that whole thing going. But um I think, yeah, I don't I, I think it's important for us, it's really important uh, and it's become increasingly important the longer we've had the shop that the shop and the reading spa as well, despite its fancy name, is for anyone potentially. So I've done reading spas with people who read 120 books a year. And I've, right. read, and I've done reading spas. I did a reading spa once with one gentleman, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying, who sat down and he said, look, someone got me this gift. It, it was an act of kindness by them in return for an act of kindness that I did to them. I have read five books in my life. And this man was definitely long past retirement age. It's like, right. I, don't really, I don't really know what we're going to talk about. So I then had a 20-minute conversation. We had a 20-minute, maybe 30-minute conversation, fascinating, about yeah. his life, about his life and Very what, cool. he, and what yes. he did like. 
And in the end, yes. I brought him. I brought him some books down. You know, the man loved football. We talked about football a lot. I brought him a book right. that was a, not a kind of biography of some footballer, but a book about how people can get passionate about small town football and what. Have you. Yeah, there were all these different examples and uh, of just things that reflected his life. And he kind of said, you know, oh, you know, I also he just wanted a book that you know. If I knew nothing about anyone, what is a book that someone who doesn't read might just sit and you know might get something from and enjoy? So with that, we kind of went down that route. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that it's for everyone. Well, this is the thing. I mean, first of all, you know, how are you going to enrich your life? Well, try and figure out what you're passionate about and do it. As you've as you've said, uh, you know, this is what you've lived. But yeah. the other thing is, and this is what I'm doing. It's just trying to figure out why I'm so damn passionate about books. And I just, yeah. you know, you just, this is what you should, anyone should do about whatever they've got this real interest in. And there's a book connected to it. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And I mean, that's it. Books, you people, we've seen it, especially through the pandemic, people can want to read for so many reasons and what one yeah. person means by relaxing reading or escapism you can't make a list of we do no. but you can't of escapist books because an escapist book for one person means something where everything is sunny yes. and light and happy but an escapist yeah. book for someone else could be a horror novel or it could be it could be learning about something really quite complex but that's just nothing to do with what they do in their day-to-day -day life well and couldn't you package this book spa as Learn about your passion. Yeah. You could. We talked about, yeah, I mean, we've talked to thing before about doing events, you know, that are sort of like given subject 101, you know, uh, kind of. I think we do that really when we make lists of books and when we and we do it with theme displays and what have you. But you're right. The reading spa could be. You could sort of, yeah, it, that's kind of what it is. Learn about your passion. But it's for some, but I, the only thing is then you've got the other side of the scale. Some people know a lot about their passion and some people have read yeah. more in a given yeah. area. So then it's right. really, but you know, that's another pleasure that we get from the reading spa or the subscription. We sometimes have people and they come and they say, hey, yeah, you're going to, it's going to be tough. I read, I read like uh, historical crime, but I am following everything. I am up on the new trends. I am maybe getting sent yeah. proofs from publishers. And then still, usually we can find some things that they've not come across and it blows people's minds. And that's because this industry, yes. which, you know, well, we you've got the new stuff. We got the new stuff, but we've also got the stuff. This industry publishes so many books and we could do a whole podcast about the sustainability of that. But this, this industry publishes so many books that it's not just the new stuff. It's the stuff that landed and there's some great stuff that just had no room and never made it above right. Even, right. The, even the second or third tier of when you go searching. And there are books that we have enormous market shares of because, because we love them, recommend them. And importantly, we soon stop if customers tell us, what do you want about? You know, <laughs> we don't know why you told us that this was great. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. but, be great, but we get great feedback on and that just don't yeah. seem to be anywhere. They just get lost. So, yeah. Well, I love how you put it. You say it took you a, a while to gain confidence in your arrogant selection. That's beautiful. You in said something work. like your arrogant selection. In other words, you stopped 
carrying all these bestsellers and mm. you basically, uh, this is what, I can't remember where I read it, but yeah. what you basically said was we gained confidence in the books that we think are great. And yeah. uh, this is what we, this is one of the reasons of our success. I think that's right. I think that we still have, you know, I, I, I always sort of make it clear, we still have those bestsellers. You know, you're not going to have a bookshop that doesn't have some bestsellers. No. Uh, no. It's not like we're we're not and we're not remotely kind of snobby, for want of a better word, about the books that everyone wants to read at a given moment. However, what we do control is what we put on display. There can be face out. Yeah. Yeah. What's going to be on the table? What's going to be face out? Because, uh, of course, if any of our customers happen to be wanting at the moment the book that is being talked about, whether it's a crime novel, whether it's a literary yeah. thing, whether it's yeah. whether it's a royal memoir. Um, you need to have a copy in the shop because you want them to buy. You want them to buy. That's right. You, you know, yeah. But you you're going to have to match. You're going to have to match the the rock bottom prices. No. Or no. No. Because not. you. No. Because you don't have to. Because if you do that, you will go out of business with the way that you're paying. If you're paying a, uh, your staff properly and if you're paying your rent, uh, we can't afford the rock bottom prices no. uh, from any single unit store. If you've got a hundred shops, you can do it. If you've got a warehouse that's been government funded and pays a tenth of our rates, then you can do it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of so, so. So all you can do is offer your customers so much else in terms of the other books that you recommend and display and in terms yeah. of the service level you offer that when they also want a copy of, you know, the new cookbook that is priced, you know, so silly high because it's going to be discounted elsewhere. They will add one to the basket because uh, even though they know they could go online and buy it at half the price yeah, because yeah. of everything else they've got from the experience occasionally. So you're only going to sell a tiny number of those books because not everyone yeah. has not everyone has the means to do that and, and support a bookshop in that way, even if they would want to. But the important thing is that you're making your full margin on all the other books, the books that they may not have discovered without you or the books that you're just so that they know about, but they didn't know why they should know about it. You know, so it's not it's not all super obscure. There are plenty of books in most of the books you go around our shop and you sort of say, yeah, I know that. I don't know that. I know that. But then it's like, oh, what's this? It's the serendipity yeah. that's in, in between. OK, I mentioned at the top that, uh, you know, I go in, I don't want to be bugged. I just want to find what i want i want the thrill of the browse the, the hunt whatever uh i get that much more in a secondhand bookstore incidentally but it it seems to me that i could change my whole attitude toward books by saying saying to myself okay i want to have a really good conversation about books with someone who who knows a lot about them who will basically improve my life who will, because I talk to them, will be able to come up with some book ideas that will really, <laughs> you know, enrich my life. Yeah. That's a, that's a way of looking at it, no? Yeah, yeah. I think some people get that from it. I mean, I think that's the, those are the moments which really, you know, which are really special when you get somebody who is sort of engages with it that much. And it doesn't have to be through the reading spa. Actually, when you say that, the thing I immediately i think of two things immediately one is when you get the opportunity to talk to a young person who hasn't either hasn't found their way in 
to why right. or, you know, or is yeah. maybe maybe a teenager who's wavering and losing their love of reading i had a conversation right. with a young man over the easter holidays and his mom had brought him in and it said she was going to buy him three or four books and he hadn't read anything good for I don't know, felt like a year and definitely all the other distractions of life and teenagedom were winning. And we had a, you know, fortunately he was open to the conversation. That work had been done. Sometimes that's not always the case. He was open to the conversation yeah. and um, just, just standing up by the table um, in, in the teen children's room area of our store, we just went all around what he'd enjoyed before. And we found him like four very different books and he went away like at the counter, he was telling me what order he was going to read them in. He went away super excited. So that's the, those are the moments where you feel you really could change the path of somebody. Maybe they would fall out of love with reading and wouldn't find it again for a long time. And the other example I would give actually is, funny enough, and I don't claim credit for this. My colleague Ed, I think, would mainly, could, should mainly get the credit for it. But we have a, one of my booksellers, our fiction lead now, Tom. And he came and I don't know if he had a reading spa first or whether he just came and browsed a few times and then got a reading spa. I think he was just browsing. And he, he'd been a local journalist, and, but he mainly was working as a butcher. And he, he was working as a butcher and he basically stopped reading for many years, having loved them as a younger man. But he'd fallen out of it completely. And Ed kind of got him set, got him started, sent him down into some sort of slightly offbeat, dark, small town American fiction rabbit hole. That's what you like. You know, your blurb on your website about uh -huh. you. I just could not help but thinking about uh, Nabokov's Lolita when oh, really? he's going to all these motels, you okay. know, that the road trip that they take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that just seemed to me that's what you were writing about. I wouldn't want to ally myself too closely to Lolita, but um, certainly the, uh, the small towns, the motels. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing with tom was just to finish that story yeah is that yeah he, th he then started reading and he now reads 120 130 books a year and is oh now and it's changed he quit butchery and now works at mr b's you know leading our kind of fiction offer really and sort of participating in the buying the overseeing of a lot of the fiction and just working alongside and just and that that is a guy you want to do a reading spa with if you've um if you yeah. want to find some new avenues well i'd say that about any one of my colleagues but right in terms right. of the journey he went on where he had stopped and then came into it again about that butcher butchery he really loved butchery like doing the work it was the family industry. I don't know. Yeah. Um, he's over because, there. I know, should ask him, did he love butchery? I've got one colleague in the room. I don't think he loved it. She's shaking her head. You know what I would recommend in that case, if he had loved it as a lover of used secondhand antiquarian yeah. books, what a beautiful thing to collect is old butchery books. True. That's true. I don't know if he has any of those. I've got a couple of colleagues who are disturbingly interested in those sort of Victorian um, medical kind of fairly <laughs> vis visceral <laughs> images of, of uh, autopsies and uh, and right, right. Uh, I know he. I mean, there are some books with some heavy um, heavy butchery in them. Uh, there is Cow, uh, which is a Austrian novel I read, which has got an awful lot of abattoir action in it. And uh, there is the one, isn't there? A, oh, what is the one by Upton Sinclair? Oh, yes. The jungle. No, is it the jungle? Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think. Yeah. There's a few out there.
Yeah. Um, he could do you a list of butchery novels, I'm sure. I, in fact, I'm yeah, going to ask him this... to get that up there. We should do that. In fact, that's a great idea. What we should do is each of us could do a list of books based on our previous passion or yes. career. Like, we'll make it, yes. uh, some of the guys have been straight out of university into this world. So we won't say all career, but passion or career. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, I could do lawyering list. No problem. Yes, I was going to say, or, well, here's another idea for that mm. spa is like, Let's do a career spa. Like, let's do, hey, you want to know all the great books in your career? Yeah. Let's sit down. So this is because something that's a fascinating thing to go after. So we do work a little bit because of the way our website works and because of the list and because of all our subscriptions, we do do some work with some businesses along those lines. So, for example, we have a uh, there's one business I, I work with who wanted to pull together a list of 25 books around leadership for their kind of middle managers. Yeah. So we provide a kind of uh, service where their team can buy them online. They don't get charged right away. We build the company. So we've done things like that. And in, and definitely we do get asked that. I tell you what comes up more often than career on the shop floor is people writing a dissertation or, you know, oh, we yeah. often get grad students coming in and saying, hey, I'm writing about. I don't know, representations of of a given subject in an obscure right. field of fiction or something. And we end up doing a bit of hive mind on that. Right, right. Well, I mean, I was in the communications business and I loved getting uh, books on propaganda. Right. It seems to me that this is a huge opportunity for, for bookstores to put another service in front of clients that have already been qualified or potential clients the first thing i would love to see if i'm totally honest when i go into other bookstores is just the first step of it which is you know books we you know i literally my other job is sort of helping chair the booksellers association so there is no one who champions all the other shops and all my uh, fellow booksellers more than i but right. i will say this right. i will say this i am always almost always slightly slightly amazed at how infrequently i get actively offered a recommendation when i'm in a bookshop well this, this is what i was going to say yes same thing i've been doing this for my whole life and yeah. in terms of someone coming up to me and saying oh i see that you're interested in this section here D did you know i've yeah. i don't even know that i don't know that i've i've ever had that happen to me no and i mean i i've definitely you know, I've gone up to counters. I've started conversations. I have. I do. I do know of many individual booksellers who do take this approach. Uh, so I, I'm not saying it's not being done. And I can think of many, the names of many who do this brilliantly and bookstore owners as well. But it's not as common as it should be. It, for me, is the single biggest thing you can do to increase the reputation of your bookshop and to increase yeah. your sale and to increase your sales to say to people, would you like a recommendation? Even just yep. that simple. If the answer is no, then that's fine. At least the person feels welcome. Yeah. They feel yeah. welcome in your shop. They know you're there if they change their mind. That's it. But. I, I have most of my conversations after I bought a book. And, you know, and they're great. But uh, And maybe that's my demeanor. And maybe I don't know what percentage of customers come in that don't want to be bugged. I wonder what it is. I don't know. I don't. It's very, very often that it's very infrequent that we would notice. I mean, obviously, some people might not tell us that we would feel that people felt that way. Like that, we have a lot of 
you know, we have quite re- shyer, quieter, regular customers who, notwithstanding those personality traits, or also, you know, just all very independent minded ones, notwithstanding those personality traits, they keep coming back. So it's, right. and like I said, we don't force it on people. We don't force it on people. No. Uh, no. And sometimes no. you have a conversation with someone, sure, and you say, hey, the book you've chosen, really love it. You know, here's an author for next time. And they just say, uh, they, they don't want to continue that conversation. That's absolutely fine. But, you know, yeah. This is something that happens in America in a much better way. Uh, in Britain, there is an awful amount. Of, yeah, we, I we don't tend, know about that. Well, listen, I think we I've in Britain... I've spent a lot of time in American bookstores that I'm, I'm, it's, I'm... The same thing holds. There's nothing I would love more than someone to come up to me and sort of engage in a conversation about books because that's what I love doing the most. And it, it doesn't happen as often as you, you might... Yeah. Yes. But I think I think in America they get over the first hurdle, which is right. it is drilled in to base level American customer service. And I think in Britain people write it off as being, oh, it's scripted, it's false, which yeah. is wrong. Yeah. Wrong, in my opinion, in most cases. I mean, not I'm not talking about in a huge mall store in a, in a big city. I'm talking about more generally, and certainly in small town bookstores. But you know, they at least engage. And they at least yes. wel- welcome people in a in a in a more and are more likely to, you know. Now you're right that then do they go the other bit of actually then giving some kind of opportunity for a conversation that involves expertise? Perhaps that's not widespread either. But um, I just sometimes think that there is a British way that is outdated of thinking. I'm just going to say hello and keep my head down and um, yeah wait for them <laughs> yeah wait for them and i think you can find a happy middle ground and yeah lots of bookstores do it but lots of brilliant bookstores don't do it as much as they could i was just in milan and i interviewed a woman who runs a bookseller school there oh really and uh, Great. i'd never heard i'd never heard of such a thing in there's apparently there's quite a tradition in germany but yeah, there seems is a qualification, me, I think, in Germany, isn't yes, there? Yes, is that's yeah. right. Yes. Uh, it seems to me that there would be, could be space for some sort of book selling school to, because this is exactly what you said. When you, know, when you started up your bookstore, you said it was surprisingly difficult to, to find out stuff like how books are distributed a good financial yeah. model, stuff like that. Is this, it, I mean, it's I improved. think it has improved. Okay. Yeah, it just it, seems so, to yeah. me that, that, that there could be a, there could be some sort of training for, yeah. for people who are more than just running around the shop, uh, bugging people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the things that have improved on that are, um, and there is no formal qualification. It is something that's being, has been discussed quite regularly, especially at the Booksellers Association. What we developed at the Booksellers Association, which started when I had my kind of two-year presidency of that, but then has been continued by uh, Merrill Halls, who's the managing director, and others there, is, is a learning development program, which is sort of a modular kind of, at the moment, it's mainly content you can uh, look at online at your own leisure. And it's peer-to-peer. So, you know, lots of us as booksellers are putting on things on given different subject areas that can then be shared with bookshop owners. And then it's just, it's very, it's fairly nascent. So, you know, now it's getting to a point where bookshop owners are now trying to work out ways to disseminate that to their teams. There's a lot of resource I want my team to see. It's just about how you kind of find the right flow through it. 
So that's one thing. We have talked about a more formal uh, qualification, but the other thing that does exist is a great uh, course called called something like an introduction to owning and running a bookshop. And it's run by Patrick Neal, who owns, who was a senior manager at Waterstones and then set up his great bookshop, Jaffe and Neal, um, together with his wife. And that's in Chipping Norton in, in, in Gloucestershire. That, you can only find a, a town named Chipping Norton. In yeah, yeah. You knew that was British, right? Anyway. And uh, but his book was great, and and he so he talks to a lot of people, and that's accessible. And here's a, it's an interesting thing: that's accessible to people who are thinking of setting up a bookshop, people who have just set up a bookshop, and even people who just want to get into the industry and learn more. It's not it's not prohibitively expensive or anything. It's fairly well subsidized course. Uh, in fact, I've got a bookseller who's going to begin their career in bookselling with us uh, from Tuesday. Uh, next week and she yeah. is the first time i've ever had a candidate for a job who's actually had take had decided to take that course herself uh, because oh, she was okay. really trying to learn about the industry so she took that course and uh you know it, that's not the sole reason she got the job we interviewed lots of people but it was certainly a really great thing to see that somebody was because uh, lots of people want to go into book selling from lots of other areas and a lot of the time when you're working out if you're when you're hiring you're thinking yeah, how much is this person dedicated to this? How much is this person going to enjoy this? Is it, uh, you, you know, you're almost second guessing how much is their skills going to transfer? That's a really interesting thing that somebody had taken the decision to do that course. Yes. Still, like anything, it's still a, it's still a confusing industry to get into when you're first trying to figure out how books are distributed. I mean, but there are resources now. <laughs> well, it seems to me that if, if you can kind of wed the, the book spot idea to some sort of training that this could be an an answer to the broken model that maybe i, I mean you're the one who lives it i'm just the one that cottoned on or, or became aware yeah. of the program and thought holy shit this is this this could be offered by by every bookstore we certainly don't think book selling like we think that it's a very difficult industry. We think that there are lots of systemic things that are broken, but we don't feel that book selling is broken. We feel that book selling is in very rude health and that we've got a really engaged, enjoyable way of doing it that both customers love and the booksellers love. So and also, you know, it gives it and it's a great kind of personal development tool for booksellers, you know, in another thing. Because of the structure of our business, because of the reading spas, because people always need time within their timetable to do uh, uh, choose books for subscribers, we have that then filters through into the way our whole timetable work for our individuals. So I don't have, for example, one person who does goods in. I have a team of, of my, a bunch of my booksellers have goods in as one of their occasional roles. Um, as what, sorry? Um, as one of their occasional roles. So somebody might be, so one, so one of my booksellers might have a timetable that in a five-day week, this is just pure, for example, where two of those days or three of those days, they're on the shop floor and that's what they're focusing on. Another of their days, they might, another of their days, they might be looking after our website customers or our customers on email and the telephone. Another of their right. days, they might be doing goods in. Another of their days, they might be goods choosing- Goods in, I'm sorry. Yeah, so that's another classic example of why our industry is uh, impenetrable because I've just used a phrase. Uh, like you, I think in American bookstores, they call it receiving. Right? Okay, okay. Getting the books. What is 
it's so it's when the books arrive you know so like i don't know at some time very soon from now when we're recording this uh, a truck is going to show up with 16 boxes of books from lots of different places and they all need to be scanned in allocated check the sections are allocated okay. if necessary right. then passed to be sent out to a distant customer or put on the shelf ready to be collected etc cetera, etc cetera. so the shop floor team are taking care of uh, the customers on the shop floor they're taking care of rotating displays person doing goods in is in an office and they're taking care of all of that side of the business and so bringing the books in making sure that they're in the right place to be shelled someone else is looking after the customers that are not in the store that are contacting us through the website through email someone else is choosing books for our subscribers or for their portion of our subscribers someone else is doing a reading spa what you've got is a lot of different someone else of course yeah. and, these are, and these are more occasional but then someone else is planning or pitching for events, doing the marketing. There are so many aspects to this job. And there are so many. Another reason it's not broken is because you can skill up people. It's not easy, but you can try and develop different little skills in people. So yeah. either that will help them continue to grow in your organization or that will help them in future career paths. So that doesn't, all of that doesn't kind of strike. That's why I think this is a great business to be in and a great career it's very varied a lot of jobs in offices where people right. see a traditional career path are very one-dimensional and there's nothing one-dimensional about uh, book selling and in particular if the shop floor part is all based around building knowledge book knowledge and sharing book knowledge yeah it seems to me that you're what jeff is saying in his book it's about the brows. It's about the brows, which is not necessarily proactive. It's, it's, it's putting together a space that you can come into and have an interesting browsing experience versus come into and have an interesting conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think you need to have a space that can work for both, especially at busy times. You The conversation, obviously, percentage drops a little because if you if you've got a shop, you know, Christmas time, you have less time to spend with each customer. You do need a space that's browsable, but the browsing should be interactive, or it should have that possibility. And people are the single biggest asset that any bookshop has. The people that are working right. for you, you need to weaponize that. Yeah, I mean, well, you could basically monetize it. Yeah, of course. That's what you know. I mean, I, maybe that's the ex-lawyer in me. Weaponize um, is more aggressive than monetize. It is, yeah, but a, no, but it is a lot more. But a law firm, you know, charges for their people skills. Uh, and yes, we, I know. And bookshops have some incredibly you got the best people, knowledgeable, skilled people who also, generally speaking, love what they're talking about. You know, compared to someone who's selling a one TV over another TV. Or yeah, one... and as you say, I mean, then we you can leave people like me to come in and do my browsing and, and maybe, uh, yeah, you could approach them. But then you have also all over your store, you've got all these, op you know, promoting the fact that you can actually pay to have this very cool experience. Yeah, and I mean, you can, even if you don't charge for it, even if that seems like it's difficult to organize, you should certainly put the highest value on it. Other booksellers said to me, but how do you manage all the other stuff if, you, if your booksellers are spending so long talking to your customers? But there is no, no task of all the tasks we're doing that I would rather a bookseller was doing 
than having a conversation with a customer. Yeah. Now that might be on an email sometimes, but most likely it's on the shop floor. It, that's the most valuable thing anyone can do. And the amount of money that lawyers charge for their time is ridiculous yeah. compared compared to what you guys are, are doing. How much does a spa cost? I mean, a spa costs 95 pounds, but that includes 60 pounds of books and, and a goodie bag. So basically, we're not charging very much for the for the no. in, incidental more recommendation time. I know. <laughs> well, it was cheaper in the old days, but, you know, uh, like everything, everything got more expensive. So. Yeah. And it's, you know, we, it, I guess we do want it to be something that can still be gifted. And, you know, we like it to be affordable as well, even though I fully recognize that that's not affordable for everyone. But we like it to have value. We believe it's a very good value product. It sounds like and, it. And you need to have it, it for it to work. You do need a cert, you need it to be a certain price because people need to take away let's say be able to take away five or six books with if they haven't got the money to top up some to buy more they want to get you know so six paperbacks is going to take sort of 60 quid of that chunk straight away so yeah i got 10 more minutes cool. uh nine, nine more minutes so i just want to wind down with you uh were on your honeymoon mm. you're on your honeymoon and it was sleepless in seattle then I, i'm guessing <laughs> but but uh that you were actually staying in the the San Juan Islands just north of Seattle, and uh, as I mentioned prior to putting the recorder on, I used to go there as a kid with my father mm -hmm. to a little town called Coopville, and mm -hmm. people have long asked me, you know, so what is it about books? Why are you so besotted with books and uh, I, I haven't come up with an answer other than to think that my father's behavior and him taking us into used secondhand and any kind of bookstore yeah. uh, must have had an impact and he he actually found it was in an, an antique and a bookstore he found this beautiful huge big old dictionary and I think he might even bought the lectern at the same time and for like four bucks, right? So there's this, right. uh, you know, of, hey, you don't have to pay a lot for something that's amazing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, to all of that, uh, I'm, I just want to ask you, so what is it about books? <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, it's, the reason we went into it was because we just wanted to spend, you know, five sevenths, I mean, it's, seven sevenths for a long many years of our life uh doing something we loved and built around something we loved and we were both lovers of books and i guess for me well why were you why were you lovers of books yeah so why were we lovers of books uh i always read as a kid i kind of was not i was not one of these people who moved on to sort of reading highly sort of cerebral books super early it was it was something I always had rather than some sort of lightning bolt moment. Like my father-in-law always taught, he grew up in a very um, sort of humble kind of background, uh, urban background, no, house, no books whatsoever in his house. And he always talks about the moment where he was given a copy of Alan Moorhead's The White Nile. And it kind um, of his mind, and it changed his life. I mean, everything about his life changed. Yeah, he was the yeah. one person in his family who began reading. It wasn't like that for me. I just kind of gradually, and I think probably... For me, it tied in with 
my desire to see the world and to travel and particularly as a teenager my interest in america um so i kind of had posters of america on the wall i got into um studying when i was sort of 15 16 the idea of like the american dream we kind of covered it a bit we i had a teacher who kind of introduced it maybe it's things like gatsby not that that's my favorite american novel by any means and that but that got me into probably then people like steinbeck and the grapes of wrath and i suddenly saw then i think how books could kind of especially fiction in my case could be a really just a way of understanding the past and the present and really sensing place you know in a different way to movies and tv which of course were there as well and so yeah it was that that really uh, and i you know i i kind of managed to start traveling in the us from the age of 18 and kind of discovering it for everything it is that was the first thing and then so it started with all those books set in tiny american towns which you alluded to on my kind of somewhere on my profile on my website probably already it started with that then i started traveling and then it kind of it was kind of yeah that there were so many ways to go back to that but then from there it sprang into the rest of the world i mean i wasn't just reading american books back then but i was really binging on them and then yeah i just realized that novels can take you anywhere so for me it's the connection to place more than anything else that's what gets me excited about a book. I'm literally just, uh, funnily enough, then it can be a nonfiction. The last 12 days I've had been lucky enough to read their books and an interview here at the shop, both Sarah Wheeler, who is a brilliant, brilliant travel writer, who's just written a memoir about her life traveling everywhere, especially the poles, <laughs> you name it. And then Benedict Allen, who is an incorrigible uh, explorer, um, prone to getting um, embedding himself in the Papua New Guinean jungle for years at a time. And again, has seen more things than any of us are going to see. Um, and now I'm reading, because just having read it, I, I've picked up Sybil Bedford's book about traveling oh, yeah. to Mexico in the 1950s. I've just started reading it. She did it's a awful. biography of Huxley, right? I think she did. Yeah, yeah. And she wrote two, uh, at least two particular, two particularly brilliant novels, uh, uh, but jigsaw many, many many more she wrote yeah and legacy and um yeah jigsaw yeah. Um, there is another one as well that was very popular here with one of my colleagues and ugh, name has escaped me a minute but okay. uh her book uh, the journey or the visit to donna tavio again that book it just transports you to 19 i mean a slightly privileged version but still 1950s america and then traveling down to mexico you know what was this like what was the landscape like what were the people like what was the journey like and how much the what even if you're reading it and thinking wow this is not how some people would speak of some of the things they have seen now if they were writing it now it just gives you an insight into what how people engage with it then it's fascinating so yeah so wait a minute you're don't tell me please don't tell me your favorite american novel is on the road please no no, can't bear it. I love road trip books. I absolutely love road trip books. Uh, I would I would find it very difficult to say what my absolute favorite um, American novel was, but I am much more inclined to... What's your favorite road trip novel then? Um, what's my favorite road trip novel? I just read... Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not even sure I can answer 
for that. Well, yeah, maybe way, maybe it's it's a bit of a weird one. Maybe the Wayward Bus by Steinbeck, actually, which principally takes place at a bus stop, and the road trip is very is, is very late. But right. there's a history of that. I mean, Amor Tal's Lincoln Highway barely involves a road trip, even though it's ostensibly. Right. But but I like a dysfunctional road trip. Uh, I'm just gonna because I'm very bad at saying what my all time favorite of any kind of subject. Yeah, well, is. they change every. They do change, yeah. of course. But I just read Norwood by Charles Portis. That is one of the more dysfunctional road trip novels. Yeah. And maybe my my favorite recent road trip novel from the last seven or eight years is Dodgers by Bill Beverly. When you first look at it, that is a crime novel. It's set. It begins in L.A. It's a bunch of four kids one of them gets involved in a terrible act of violence they're living in a, in a bad neighborhood a uh, young black boy gets involved in a uh, act of violence um, they need to get him out of the way and he's also basically his cousin who runs the gang that he's part of says look you know you've got to redeem yourself we need you to go and kill this judge we need you to go and kill this judge he's a white man and he lives in somewhere like ohio so what you suddenly end up with is a very ill-conceived road trip with four young black men. They're all dysfunctional in their own way, all teenagers only, like the one in charge. is, And they're full of bravado, full of swagger. And then the minute they leave L.A., it all goes away because they realize that this is a very different landscape and not one that they are used to navigating and a very white dominated landscape where suddenly they're a lot more visible in a negative way for them. And this book is so interesting in how it talks about it's a crime novel. It's a road trip novel. It's a novel of brothers and friends. Yeah, it's a really great book. What's it called again? Dodgers. And it's by Bill Dodgers. Beverly. I've been rereading over the past month Clive James's uh, Cultural Amnesia. And the reason I think of that is that he, he's got these magnificent aphoristic, aphorism-laden profiles. Uh, it's about 100 sort of culture makers throughout the 20th right. century. Uh, but Alan Moorhead is, gets so much praise in, in, a, in a, really? he's Australian. I had no idea he was Australian. Okay. But uh, anyway, I think, I think it's, I think it's the cat's ass. Yeah. <laughs> I like Clive James a lot. And I've looked at cultural amnesia many times and the pure scale of it makes me realize it's one I just have to sort of put in between other books oh, and work my way through. It's magnificent. I can't yeah. speak highly enough of it. But I just want to thank you for uh, for a free conversation here. I didn't have to pay the book spa fee or, or anything. <laughs> well, that's uh, all right because you don't get you don't get the sixty pound of books either. So that seems fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, next time I'm in Bath, uh, maybe maybe I'll uh, I'll spend that in your store. I'd be happy sure. to. Brilliant. We'd so, love to uh, show you around. I'd love to show you around when you. That's great. So Nick uh, Bottomley is the co-owner of Mr. B's Emporium of Delight. No, Delightful Reading, is that it? Reading Delights, Reading Delights. But don't worry, it's been done many times in many ways. <laughs> okay, it's, it's been a real pleasure. I really and appreciate likewise. your time. Thank you. Likewise, Thank you. thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.